0: Welcome to another episode of Your Queer Story. I am a co-host, Evan Jones, and I am writing solo today. If you are new to the Your Queer Story podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of our past episodes. We cover mostly queer history, but we also talk about some relevant topics and put information out there. Um, if you are a regular listener to the your queer story podcast this will be your episode this week next week we are going to be dropping our two-part finale on women's history rounding out women's history month on the 31st so make sure you tune in check that out again we're going to be dropping two parts for you to kind of make it up for this week but this week i am here again without my co-host paul hobbs and I am going to be talking about some of the political issues and the legislative issues that are here in America. This is what we call a politisode, and it's where I just kind of update people on what is going on. You may have heard a lot, you may have seen on Twitter or seen a lot of the articles that have been out there about the wave of anti trans legislation that is sweeping America right now. Um, now, In the beginning of this month, March of 2021, 82 bills had been introduced into state legislators across the United States. And what that means is that lawmakers have presented the highest amount of anti-trans legislation that's ever been in America. Now, part of the reason that this is the highest amount is, number one, because previously, especially uh, before the early to mid-2000s, we did not have any Rights or protections for trans people, at least none that were on the books. As we've gained more rights and protections, as we've gained more awareness, as more people have become vocal and come out, we have seen a lot of growing positive response for trans, non-binary, and intersex individuals. And of course, in response to that, the far-right conservatives have pushed to take away and strip whatever rights that we would have had, block any protections that we try to put in place. And this is a very common tactic in politics all across the world. But in American politics, I mean, one of the most famous examples of this is, of course, the Jim Crow era. Right after slavery ended in the Civil War in 1865, we had the Reconstruction era. And during that time, states put in these bills that prohibited black people from from voting, from Uh, earning a living wage from living in certain areas. There were states that literally had bans on black people from living there. And um, and a host of other bills that essentially put black people back into just a different form of slavery. And that's when we began to see the rise of our prison industrial complex and the rise in our police forces in America. And so this was a response to black people getting so-called freedom and immediately stripping away whatever that freedom meant. We saw this um, in another area of LGBTQ rights whenever the sodomy laws began to fall in the, throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. States replaced those with the um, the anti-marriage bans or the, the secret marriage bans where basically they, well not basically, they literally um, outlawed same-sex marriage and those laws did not begin to fall until after the early 2000s and in many states that would not be repealed until until 2015 when the Supreme Court overturned that decision and allowed for same-sex usin- unions in the United States. And now once again, we are here with trans rights and intersex rights, and we are seeing this wave of hate because people are making it clear that they do not want trans and intersex people in their healthcare, in their sports, in their schools, anywhere. Now, I'm not going to talk about all 82 of these bills if you're not familiar with American legislation. Essentially, what will happen is in a state legislator, uh, state legislation, um, you have your House, you have your Senate, and they will present a bill. This bill will go to a committee hearing. Sometimes a bill will be squashed and never even present it to a committee. And so in that case, it's just kind of silently dismissed. If the committee believes it's just something that needs to be heard by the larger group, they will bring it to the House or the Senate. It will be voted on. If it passes one uh, chamber, it will be passed to the next chamber. So if the House approves, it goes to the Senate. If the Senate approves, it goes to the House. And once both chambers have approved a bill, it then goes to the governor. And of course, on a federal level, it goes to the president. Uh, President and governors both have veto power, which they... I wouldn't say they use sparingly, it depends on who it is, Um, but they do have the power to veto, and then it it can bounce back around. Even if the governor or the president sign off on something, it can then be brought to court, and then at that point, the state Supreme Court and possibly even the federal Supreme Court will rule on whether or not something is actually upheld as a law, but either way, whether a bill is only ever presented by a group of people or it makes it all the way up to the Supreme Court, the fact that this bill is out there is very harmful and it always creates a wave of antagonism and hate and tension, especially on uh, the trans and intersex people, but especially on communities of color who are the ones who are often most targeted with this hate and bear the brunt of it. And so right now, We have these 82 bills that are out. Some of them are already, we already know that they're going to be squashed. There's nothing's going to happen from them. Some of them have been vetoed. Two of them have been vetoed by governors. But on uh, Monday, the governor of Arkansas signed into a bill, the anti trans bill, which I'm going to get to. I want to talk about Arkansas, but first I want to talk about Arkansas's other bill, the one that is waiting on the governor's desk. And that is the, that is, I'm pulling up my information. I want to read it right. That is a house bill, so HB 1570. Um, And what this does is it denies gender-affirming care to transgender youth in the state. Now, we've talked about gender-affirming care, but again, if you're new or if you're just listening because you want to stay up to date on the politics of this, gender-affirming care for youth in the United States is very minimal. Basically, it is going to a therapist, psychologist, and talking about your gender identity. Whenever a young person hits puberty, if they have been in therapy for so long, a doctor can prescribe puberty blockers. All this does is delay their puberty. Uh, This is a medication that's been around for a long time. It's been diagnosed or it's been prescribed to cisgender people so people who are not trans non-binary or intersex it's been uh, prescribed to cisgender youth that were developing too fast for a long time and now it is often prescribed to trans or intersex or non-binary youth who have not yet reconciled or understood their gender identity. They don't yet know what their gender identity is and so this delays puberty so that they can figure that out. And of course this is with the child asking for this, this is with the parent's consent, and this is with the advice of both doctors, psychologists, and therapists. So there's a lot of people that go into prescribing medication in the cases where it's done. The other aspect of gender-affirming care will start with uh, medical transition, which can be hormones that are prescribed to a youth sometimes as early as 16, but usually 16 17. A youth can start taking hormones, um, so they can take either estrogen or, or testosterone depending on their identity. And then in the state of Arkansas, it has not been legal ever for a uh, transgender youth to undergo surgery, so they cannot undergo gender affirming surgery, which may include, you know. Um, reconfiguring of their genitals, or it may include um, top surgery, which is a mastectomy. Um, and, and there's a there's a bunch of different kinds of surgeries out there, but none of them are available to youth under the age of 18. So that's a moot point in Arkansas. But HB 1570 will take e- away even a child's right or access to to uh, to seeing a counselor, to talking about their gender identity or the right of the psychologist or the doctor to refer that young person out to someone who is gender affirming. So it, it's, it completely strips away the parents' rights. It completely strips away the child's rights. And it also strips away the provider's rights. The provider does not have the right to make... decision based on their education and based on what they believe is best, the provider can only do what the state says. Um, It is very likely that this will be signed into um, law. We do not know yet. Um, In fact, by the time this drops, it may already be signed into law. Now, that doesn't mean that there is no legal recourse. Uh, It's almost also certain that um, the state of Arkansas will be sued for this. And then it will go on to the Supreme Courts and, uh, of the state and then the Supreme Court of the land. Um, it's a really hard case that Arkansas is trying to walk here because you're stripping away the rights of so many individuals along the way, telling doctors how they can and can't do their job. It's just a huge violation and sets up a big precedence that will have some long, long ramifications. And and that's not the only bill that they have around this. They also have their LGBTQ provider bill, which allows doctors to deny coverage to a person because of their LGBTQ identity. Now, it's framed as a religious freedom b- law, but that just means that if you go to a pharmacy and you want your prescription filled for your testosterone the pharmacist can deny filling your prescription if you are in the extreme cases and this has happened and this is why these bills are so terrifying in extreme cases an emt can refuse to treat someone who's dying on the side of the road an emergency room doctor can refuse to to attend to someone who is sick and dying. So again, there's long ramifications. There are going to be policies in hospitals. I'm sure that forbid their employees from doing this, but from a legal standpoint, the employee does have the right legally to deny service. Now that is if that bill passes, and that is also in Arkansas, and that is SB, so the Senate Bill 289. So a lot going on in Arkansas. And if you are a trans person or an LGBTQ person in Arkansas, my heart is with you and I grieve for you and I am so sorry for what you are enduring. Um, The other, now, and there are 30 bills altogether that have to do with trans trans youth and gender affirming care. And they're scattered again in bills all across the state. There's a really good tracker. It's called the... um, I've got to find it, (laughs) because there's two things that sound very much alike, and they are not alike. Um, The Freedom for All Americans is a tracker, Um, freedomforallamericans.org. You can go on there, and you can uh, track any anti-LGBTQ legislation in um, the states. You can see your state, how many bills are in place, so I encourage you to... Um, go check that out. The reason I was getting a little tripped up on that was because there's the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is actually the group that is driving most of this hate, and the Alliance Defending Freedom is the same people that are um, still supporting that baker, Um, Jack, what's his name, who uh, refused to bake a cake for a gay couple in Colorado years and years ago, and now he's a, a martyr for them, and everything that he's lost just because he didn't want to bake a cake and that's where a lot of this is being driven by and one of the easy targets that alliance defending freedom has found is is trans youth and also trans and intersex female presenting individuals Um, so the core and the backbone of this anti-trans legislation is the anti-trans bills now the alliance defending freedom calls them the protecting women's bills and protect women in sports bills and they're trying to frame it as this we're just trying to make sure that women have a fair and equal chance in in sports which is just an incredibly sexist view on things as it is but um, that's how they're presenting these and they have presented almost half of this legislation is anti-trans bills which uh, on Monday the governor of Arkansas just passed it the second bill in the country that forbids women trans and intersex women and girls from competing in any kind of um, any kind of uh, school or college and sports so there's nothing um, about higher uh, there's nothing yet about higher um, bans on professional sports, uh, mostly because I don't think the governor has any uh, oversight on that, but it, it, they can ban transgender and, uh, girls and transgender girls and women. Sorry, I'm suddenly a little. <laughs> they can ban trans women and intersex women and girls from competing on a school and college level. Uh, This entire idea of deciding whether or not a woman is woman enough for sports is rooted in a really odd and bizarre history that I didn't even know about until recently. We even did an episode on LGBTQ players in sports um, about a year ago, which I really enjoyed. And I still didn't see this. Maybe I I mentioned something about the FEM cards, but I hadn't gotten into the, the history of this. So... To wrap it up in a nutshell, and there is an article on yourquerystory.com that you can go and check out and you can read the history of it. To wrap it up in a nutshell, in 1936, at the 1936 Olympics, there was the American star Helen Stevens, who was nicknamed the Fulton Flash. She was from Fulton, Missouri. She was incredibly fast. And then there was an, an immigrant, a uh, Polish immigrant, who went by the name of Stella Walsh. And uh, she had immigrated to America when she was a young child. She was raised in America. She was actually a few days from receiving her American citizenship when she was 18. And at the last minute, she decided to compete for Poland in the 1932 Olympics. And then she went on to the 1936 Olympics. Now, the 1936 Olympics was a huge time in sports history anywhere in the world. The 1936 Olympics is when the world is recovering from the Great Depression. A lot of nations are showing up. They want to show their power and their dominance, and they got their mojo back. And, of course, it is hosted in Berlin, Germany, and Berlin's really got something to prove. And Hitler spends almost $30 million on the Olympics. He spent $7 million on filming and photography alone. And, um, and of course, we know that it's just a few years later that Hitler would invade Poland and we would have the start of the World War II. And during this time, he's secretly uh, funneling uh, Jews into the ghettos and starting his concentration camps, which he will soon be shipping people off to. But at the time, everything seems to be glamorous and beautiful. And so Helen and Stella both compete. And Helen just beats out her competitor. And the story is kind of mixed, but it seems that a Polish uh, journalist accused Helen Stevens of being a man. And then in response to that, Helen Stevens and her team accused Stella of being a man. Now, Stella Walsh never um, never underwent an examination, but Helen Stevens was forced to undergo... A genital examination, which is an incredibly offensive and, and horrible thing. And uh, they, they decided that she was woman enough for them, and she went back home. And then, of course, we have the eruption of World War II, and there's no Olympics. And then um, by the time the Olympics came back around... Helen had started her own. She was actually the first uh, owner and manager of a semi-pro basketball league in America. And so she was she was uh, living a quieter life. She was also a lesbian, and this was at the height of the Lavender Scare in America, which go back and listen to our Lavender Scare episodes. And so Helen, I don't think she wanted to bring any more attention to herself, especially not after she's been groped and examined in the 1936 Olympics. I don't know why she didn't. Um, choose to compete anymore. She was still pretty young by the time the next Olympics rolled around, but she had a good life. She settled down with her partner and uh, enjoyed the rest of her life. Stella continued to compete for a few more years, but she never competed internationally again. She moved back to the States and she stayed there until 1980. She was killed in a tragic death and upon her autopsy, it was revealed that Stella was intersex. And this set off a firestorm. And there was already a a bit of a story that had been bubbling over for several years in America and and internationally as well. And part of that was for a third individual by the name of Heinrich Ratchen. Now Heinrich was born, he was an intersex individual... He was assigned female by birth, although according to his father, it seems like they weren't really sure what they should do, so they assigned him female, they gave him the name Dora, and he spent the first 20 years of his life forced to live as a girl. And, and I call him he-him because he would later say that he never felt like a girl, he never felt that that identity fit him, but he didn't feel that he had any choice. If he came out, it would bring shame to his family. And so he lived his life as a girl, he became a very talented athlete, and he also went off to the 1936 Olympics. He ended up placing fourth in the high jump, and then two years later, he was setting the world record for the high jump. Three years later, 1939, he was setting the world record for the high jump. And when he did that, he was, he was accused of being a man. And so he was arrested on a train platform. And when they examined his genitals, they decided that he was a man. And at this time, Ratchin just kind of broke down. He told, um, the Gestapo that he, um, had been forced to live this way and he didn't want to, and that his family didn't know what to do. And then he just kind of, you know, he changed his name legally to Heinrich. He took his, his father's name and then he just kind of faded from the limelight. But eventually that story broke out and it created ripples throughout the sports world. And so whenever World War II ended, um, all these stories started circulating about these men in women's clothing trying to steal medals and, and trophies from women and competitions, really. They're trying to steal the wins from women, and it was a story that was completely blown up and out of proportion. It didn't make any sense, but it started the 1946 Fem Card Rule, which was where women had to go. They had to prove their femininity by a genital examination, and they had to get a certificate that said that they were a woman continued on for a few years and there was a lot of backlash and there was a lot of push against that and how you know what classifies as a woman and then you have the feminist movement of the 60s and 70s and it start just as it started to die down that's when stella Walsh's autopsy review revealed that she was intersex and so um when her autopsy is revealed all of a sudden it sparks this debate up again and now They introduce a ruling that says that your chromosomes have to be photographed and your your chromosomes don't perfectly match that XX perfectly, then you can't compete. And the first person that felt the heat of this was a woman by the name of Maria Jose Martinez Patino. Maria was a very talented athlete. She also was ready to... She had qualified for the, the Olympics. She was ready to compete in the night before... She, It it came back that her chromosomes did not match, that they had been scanned, and she was banned. Everything erupted again, a national scandal. Her boyfriend left her, her agent dropped her. She would spend years fighting it in court, and she wrote a book, a memoir about her experience, but once again, this was brought back up, and once again, that people decided that they needed to have these FEM cards. So now we're gone from examining people's genitals to scanning their chromosomes. I'm not going to get into the technicalities of it, but it becomes more and more a gross procedure. We're getting more and more detailed of what it means because the reality is gender is a construct. It's something that's made up and we're trying to force people into these gender boxes and that doesn't work. Because when we, whether you're looking at someone's genitals or you're examining their chromosomes or eventually you're drawing their blood to look at their hormone levels, you're going to find that gender is very diverse, that we can't fit into male and female boxes. But we're so consumed and obsessed with keeping and perpetuating this lie of gender that we get to these points where we're literally testing the SRY genes in an individual to see if they're women enough. I mean, it's just, it's insanity. It makes no sense. It doesn't help anyone. Now, by 2000, the testing, again, has kind of died down. The, the IAAF has decided that they can't test it, everybody or they're not going to do this regular testing, but they reserve the right to test if they have suspicion. There's a few cases throughout, um, throughout the years. You have the Stockholm Consensus of 2003 where they rule that if a, a transgender person competes, they have to have sex reassignment surgery, that's the term that they use. It's gender affirming surgery, so you have to undergo gender affirming surgery and you have to be on hormone therapy for over two years before you can compete. They put all these, you know, as trans people become more out, you have Renee Richards, who is a transgender tennis, tennis athlete, and uh, more of these rulings are, ro- are rolled out to, again, limit who can and can't compete and what it means to be a woman. And what it means to be a female athlete and how can we make sure we keep those tiny little boxes. And then, in 2009, you have the introduction of probably one of the most talented athletes of our time, if ever, Castor Semenya. Now, Castor Semenya is a South African sprinter who has just broken one record after another. She is an incredibly talented athlete she also happens to be an open queer woman she married her wife a couple years ago and in 2009 caster blew the pants off of everyone else in the 800 meter dash she also placed in several other events In the 400 meter and the 1500 meter so she just blew in and and it was incredible it was astounding and immediately after she was accused of being a man and so they they did their little chromosome scan and they did all their stuff and they drew Castor's blood and they decided that her testosterone levels were too high and it wasn't fair and they banned her and anyone who had a certain level of testosterone in their blood. Now, I want to go back and mention that there is no history, at least that I can find, and if you do have this, please send it to me, but there is no history of men having their blood or their chromosomes or their genitals examined to compete in the men's competition. This is strictly for women. This is strictly, again, to buy into this idea of women have to be weaker. We talk about the gender gap in sports and how the gender gap hasn't changed, but we don't talk about the fact that we are excluding intersex women and non-binary women and, and, and one person after another from competing in an attempt to prove that the gender gap is still there. And gosh, what are we going to do about the gender gap? Someone, you know, someone like Castor Semenya stepping up and as such an incredible talented athlete is frightening to men. And there's that sexist argument. She is a black lesbian there is the racism there is the queer phobia and when we go back and we look at a lot of these athletes look at Renee Richards she's a transgender woman look at Helen Stevens she's a lesbian and now we're looking at Castor Semenya and she is a black South African lesbian and people couldn't hate it more that she is winning these races and and I'm going to talk about the racism in in a minute but Castor Uh, Spins the next four years from 2011 until 2015 she is banned from competing on an international level at this time in india there is another olympic athlete by the name of duty chan now duty chan was also a sprinter she also uh, was a very high quick rising star in the asian games she was set to compete For um, She was preparing to compete for the 2016 Olympics, and then in 2014, she was banned from the Asian Games due to her hyperandrogenism, which is the term that they use to say that your testosterone levels are too high. Now, Chan appealed her ruling to the Switzerland's Court of Aberration, which is called the CAS, and they ruled in favor of her against the IAAF, again, the International Association of Athletics Federation. Gotta get my A's right. So, Chan's ruling didn't just overrule or overturn the ban against her, it overturned the ban against everyone, which meant that in 2016, Castor Saminia could compete in the Rio Olympics. And that year, she won. Again, the 400-meter, the 1500-meter, and the 800-meter, and she set the world title for the 800-meter. So she play, she won all those gold medals, and what do you think happened? You bet your ass right after that. Again, she was accused of being a man, and, and that's when it really started to, do, to unravel into just this disgusting, racist rhetoric. Uh, the fifth-place runner-up, Joanna Joswick, didn't even recognize the fact that she had been beaten by three black women. So the, f- the first, second, and third place were all black women. Jo- Joanna Joswick wouldn't even recognize them. She claimed that she was the second place white winner and that uh, she was the first European, which is just some kind of ridiculous delusion. The sixth place contestant, also white, was a, a girl by the name of Lindsey Sharp, who just broke down into hysterics, talking about how Things have changed and we're not even running the same race. And you know what, Lindsay, you're probably right. You're not running the same race, but you're not running the same race because that's what sports is about. Sports continues to evolve. It continues to get better. People come in and they challenge the game and they challenge the way everyone's playing and they say, hey, can you keep up? I mean, I'm thinking of a little Chamberlain in basketball. uh, we talk about how great you know, uh, James West was, and then you had Wilt Chamberlain step up, and Wilt Chamberlain was like, no, I'm going to take this game to a new level. And then after him, there was Michael Jordan. And today, we, a lot of argument. Is LeBron, or did Kobe, did these, these people continue to elevate the game? Once again and again, people step in, and they elevate a the game, and they challenge other players, and they say, hey, can you go farther? And again and again, Athletes do rise to the occasion. Breaking down into hysterics, talking about how the game has changed. Girl, you need to get another, another trainer. You need to work on yourself. This isn't Gaster's fault. That has nothing to do with her. But, the, the I mean, the racism that pulls through, it's just so obvious. And, and it goes to that very racist argument, Natural Talents. And this was uh, written about by Ben Carrington in his book, Race, Sports, and Politics. And he talks about how uh, black people are always just noted as natural athletes and that white people have to work so much harder and it really it really just gives this subtle message and sometimes it's not subtle but it gives this message that black people are intellectually inferior to white people and really as a whole they're inferior to white people because white people despite the obstacles manage to train and still be able to compete with black athletes and black athletes just naturally have these abilities and it just completely takes all the work and all everything that they've gained and throws it out the window and it's such a racist and honestly pathetic view on things. I wanna read this quote from Ben Carrington He, he said, White sports commentators and journalists used to be very explicit in comparing black athletes to monkeys and gorillas and cheetahs. Today, they are more circumspect and instead tend to overemphasize black players' physical attributes, power, speed, strength, and so on, and conversely tend to highlight the intelligence and ability to read the game of white athletes and to supposedly lack the natural advantage of their black peers, but can make up for it by their better playing abilities. You often see this is how white basketball and football players are described, especially quarterbacks. So he's just reaffirming what I said, what I said, I took his words, but um, reiterating that point that you know, I, I think the, the quarterbacks is especially great. You know, where you talk about like Tom Brady, right? We can't hear enough about all the odds that Tom Brady's overcome, living in his middle class white lifestyle. He's a fucking gorgeous man, six foot whatever, and we talk on and on. There, I mean, there was a, how many parts of that that series on him and about he's the greatest athlete of all time. In and I'm not saying that, that Tom Brady isn't a great athlete or that he doesn't work hard. I'm just saying you don't hear the same thing about black athletes. You don't hear the same thing. We we When we look at white athletes like Wayne Gretzky and Michael Phelps and Lance Armstrong and Arnold Palmer, we talk again about their work ethic and their drive and how they got there. And then we look at athletes like Christian Ronaldo and Pele and, and Jordan and LeBron and Woods, and it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they worked hard, but you know if I had their abilities, and that's the racism of it, and that's, you know, and when you combine that together with the racism, and the queer phobia, and the sexism, what happens in women's sports is you get these ridiculous bands, where we are doing insane things to try to prove that This is what makes a woman, and this is what makes a man, and this is the only two genders that we recognize, and the damage that we do to intersex people throughout this, it's just horrendous, because we are telling intersex people, you cannot play sports, you do not get to take part in one of the most fundamental human rights, one of the most fundamental human pleasures that we've ever had, at least in the in recent civilizations, you don't get to take a right in there because we can't compete with you and we don't know what to do with you. And rather than learn and evolve and maybe look at our binary structures and how we should restructure them, we're going to cast you out. And that is what's happening in these bills all across the country. We are introducing these bills to ban trans sports players but intersex sports players, non-binary sports players, anybody who doesn't fit the mold. And there's a lot of science to support why it doesn't matter. And there's a good NPR article out there. You can Google it, but I'm not going to talk about the science of it because the reality is the science doesn't matter. The science is wrong in the fact that, again, it buys into this binary structure of what it means to be a man or woman. And as 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 trans individuals, as queer individuals, we do not have to apologize and answer to people. And we get so caught up sometimes in trying to answer for ourselves and trying to explain to people why we do what we do, why we need to do what we do, and and how we're not a threat to them. And I am challenging people, stop that. Stop trying to prove you're not a threat because you're not a threat I don't have to prove to anyone why I am able to compete. If you can keep up, let's go. I don't, I don't, I had, there, there's a history out there, there's a science out there to back up why this doesn't really affect sports, even though we're trying to make it an issue. But even if it did, even if intersex people were kicking your ass, step up. That's what I say. I say, I say, look at the challenge and say, challenge accepted. And I definitely say, That queer people have nothing to apologize. We will not apologize. And we do not have to feed into this to prove that we deserve to be with everyone else. That we deserve to compete with everyone else. Like I said, I don't have to prove to someone that I'm safe to be around. If you think I'm not safe to be around with no real evidence, that's on you. If you feel that things aren't fair, it's on you. It's your work to figure out why you have this bias. And like I said, lots of people have done the work. I'm just not going to get into the scientific arguments of it because it doesn't matter. The issue, again, is the gender construct. That's what needs to be addressed. And instead of addressing that, we're doing any and everything but. We're introducing one piece of legislation after another, banning kids and, and college students from participating in sports rather than reexamining our gender constructs. We're spreading fear and hate And racism and sexism in an attempt to try to prove something that can't be proved. And I just want to encourage all my queer friends not to buy into that rhetoric of trying to apologize for ourselves or excuse ourselves or justify ourselves. We don't have to be justified, and I have talked far longer than I expected to, so again, go to freedomforallamericans.org. You can check out the trackers. They have links to all the bills. You can see what's going on in your state. You can see how you can get active. Check them out. Uh, Check out Ben Carrington's book, Race, Sports, and Politics. And, um, and then, like I said, there's others, there's a good article on them.us about this. There's a good article on the, on NPR about this. HRC has a good understanding of, of these bills and what's going on. So go there, check them out. I am going to wrap up for the day and I'm going to tell you to stay queer and most of all, stay proud. And I'll talk to you soon.